This podcast features discussions about finances and money, which are general in nature. For personal advice specific to your circumstances, see a licensed financial planner or relevant qualified professional. Hi, folks, and welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood. I'm Scott Malcolm, and we're here to unpack the money stuff. I'm really excited today because one of my favorite uh, fun topics is public sector superannuation. And I think I've actually found someone who is, um, in the nicest sense of the words, more geeky about public sector super than I am. Um, So it's really exciting that I have Gianna Thompson from Fitzpatrick's Private wealth and Gianna's actually worked at the Commonwealth Super Corporation in in a past life as well as being a certified financial planner and money coach. So I'm really excited to have Gianna here today so that we can unpack some of the public sector super schemes, specifically uh, the PSS and the CSS. Uh, In today's chat, we might go a little bit more freestyle and talk about some other things, but welcome along, Gianna. Thanks for coming along. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for the invitation. What's one of your happy uh, early money memories that you've got? I think growing up on a farm, the oldest of five kids. Uh, Dad put me to work on a farm at a very early age. I learned how to drive tractors, <laughs> $10 an hour, and I used to enjoy saving up that money to, you know, buy nice things, particularly when we on holidays. Also, you know, growing up as a kid, even today, your know, money as a topic at home is very openly talked about. You know, my dad... You know, he's a businessman, he's a farmer, he's an investor. Um, so we always talk about investing shares, you know, debt. And as an older adult, I feel very comfortable doing that stuff today. And, um, yeah, good, good memories. I love what you've said there as well around those those open, honest conversations about money because it, it can be one mm. of those taboo subjects. People Absolutely. do get a bit mystified by it. And especially you, you would see this working with with public servants in Canberra and everywhere else, but people still don't quite understand their defined benefit superannuation schemes, do they? And it's it, that's okay because it's quite complex. So it's like mm. a typical super fund. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And we've talked about on this podcast before your your standard accumulation schemes and what makes a defined benefit. So how how did these uh, these schemes come about? Yeah, how do they work? So, like your, mm. unlike your typical uh, super fund where, you know, you receive some super cons, you may get some, you know, interest and then whatever you get in the day is what you have. Um, with a defined benefit, what you get is defined by a formula. So, usually it's, you know, a multiple of your salary times by a factor, which is based on user service or your contribution rate, um, and that basically defines what you get at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. A lot of the defined benefit schemes are closed these days, so mm. if you are lucky enough to still be in one, it can be um, quite beneficial. I'm the product of career public servants, and I often say that probably makes me a little bit uh, risk averse in in the best of times. But mm. my parents were both in the defined benefits, so my dad was in the the Commonwealth Super Scheme, being the the CSS, okay. um, and yeah. my mum was in the in the PSS. And but people often in Canberra go, "Oh, well, I'm not in the good one, the CSS, but I'm in the PSS." And um, do you want to talk <laughs> me through a few? The, yeah, well, exactly. And I often go, "I'm like, what? I'm like, it's really cool. Like, um, one of my fun party tricks. Um, I don't know if you if you do the same things socially I, I am a bit of a geek but um i used to love when i was um all my friends were going into the public service doing cadetships and things like that 
and I started learning out about the PSS and and half of them were in the scheme. So I was like, oh, do you want me to do a quick calculation on what your benefit might be by the time you get to 55 or 60? And they're like, what? How do you know how to do that? I'm like, because it's a defined benefit. It's It's got a formula. There's a, a system to it. But, so what, what are the key differences between the CSS and the PSS? Just broadly there. Yeah, so CSS is, is older than PSS. So CSS closed in 1990, which is when PSS started to come in. Both, you know, defined by formula, both based on your, you know, salary. Um, CSS, you, you know, do put in contributions, uh, 5%, or if you choose to more, which are called supplementary contributions. In PSS, um, you can choose, again, to make some contributions, so either 0% or anywhere between 2 and 10%. The way they accrue and, and the formulas are, are quite different, but they both have what we call an, an unfunded component. So that's the big component, which is funded by a consolidated revenue fund, which is generally uh, pays um, the lifetime pension. So they're both uh, eligible for that lifetime um, indexed in pension as well. So similarities, but they're quite uh, big differences as well. Mm. And that index pension, I think, is is the big one because uh, I've seen mm. a few clients down in Melbourne recently that have been in defined benefit schemes of old, like big companies that had old defined benefit schemes still, but they turn into defined benefit lump sums. So yeah. it is really unique that this one is a is a pension, and, and it's it's fifty five, isn't it? So for I, I always like that people go, oh, I can't retire till I'm sixty or seventy. I read something that I can't retire till I'm seventy, and I'm like, no, yeah, yeah, and and so those four. So um, I guess for people who are in the schemes, you, you mentioned before the, the contribution rates and, and how they work. For some people, they, they might decide, right, don't want to put any contributions into the scheme. But what, what's the benefit, especially with the PSS, of putting contributions into the scheme over time? Yeah, it just helps uh, that formula to grow a bit faster. The, the formula, whilst you're a contributing member, is based on what we call the FAS, so the average of your last three birthday salaries, multiplied by a multiple, which is called the accrued benefit multiple. So that multiple is based on the contribution rate and whether you work full-time or part-time It's an, and whether you've been there for or whether you've been contributing member for one or ten years. So, yeah, it just helps that multiple grow a bit faster, a bit different for people in preserved uh, benefit. But, yeah, that multiple is... Is there, which is why quite often people say, oh, 10% is the way to go, it's the only way to go. It's not always the only way to go. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's whatever's right for the person. So. Yeah, definitely. And I often sort of explain to people and say, well, if you put in 10% with the way the, the multiplier works, so basically you put in 10%, if you've got more than 10 years service, which most most people in the PSS these days have, mm-hmm. you're getting that extra 21% contribution as well. So yeah, um, that's pretty, um, pretty amazing. And so mm-hmm. get to 55, potentially can start your pension benefit and then um, there's tax elements and things that come with that. So you're talking about the funded and unfunded uh, components before. So do you want to explain how that sort of works and and with sort of some of the, the tax generally on on those pension benefits? Yeah. So in normal super world, after the age of sixty, um, income streams are lumped under tax free. Whereas with these benefits, which have the untaxed components, so your CSS, your PSS, and those military schemes as well, it's still taxable regardless of what your age and what your other taxable income is. Under the age of 55, sorry, under age of 60, I should say, there's, again, higher taxes. There's three components. The tax-free component will always be tax-free. There's a taxable tax component, which should be taxable under the age of 60 or tax-free over the age of 60. And then you've got your taxable untaxed component, which is um, essentially taxing your marginal tax rate 
Um, but usually from when you turn age 60, there's a 10% rebate. But, you know, again, depending on how big your pension is, some people aren't eligible for that rebate. Yeah. If you are a PETA's contributor and you're making redundant, and then that pension option is actually an option for you before age 55. Hence, mm. I personally am a PETA's pensioner. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so it's um, lots of lots of benefits. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I think that's the other um, uh, yeah misunderstood or, or uh, element there. If there are redundancies going on, and so if you are made redundant from a position, um, as you say, that's a, a trigger where you could actually start your pension. Um, and that's that's a little bit different with the CSS, though, isn't it? So that that's not as beneficial sometimes for people under a redundancy uh, approach. Uh, yeah, so you still need to satisfy certain rules. Um, but the thing about PS, uh, sorry, CSS, particularly if you're in the ACT government, there is a transition to retirement uh, pension option that you can actually um, trigger, which is not available for PSS. So, hmm. um, yeah, pros and cons with yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these options. Just because you are made redundant in the PSS doesn't mean that you should take the PSS pension. Mm, all about having the the game plan, I guess, and getting some uh, good advice mm-hmm. um, as that comes along. Once you've started that pension, then you can't actually go back and go, "Oh, I might rejoin the the public sector again and uh, and want to start contributing to it." So yeah. So we've talked about the formula, and so again, each scheme has a, a slightly different formula in regards to how the the benefits accrue while you're a contributing member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We touched a little bit on that preservation. So, again, if you preserve the benefits in the scheme, CSS has two different or slightly different formula if you do the, the preservation. So, my, my dad did the 5411. Um, I remember him, him counting down the days as he got closer to retirement. That's um, right. Took half times to your accumulated the component times factor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, different. <laughs> and, and I guess that, does, that isn't the same with the PSS because it's just got the defined benefit at retirement age uh, or, as you say, uh, prior to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the, the CSS as well, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but there's there's also that lump sum component, isn't there? So um, people have got a lot of choice yeah. when it comes to then retirement um, benefit and how they receive that. So it could also be the um, that, that lump sum gets turned into the non-index pension component. Yeah, that's right. So you've got the, your standard component in CSS is the indexed pension, which is a whole unfunded component, so it is quite taxable. And then with the lump sum, um, you can elect to either take as a lump sum and do something else with it or convert some or all of it into a non-indexed pension. And some people say, oh, it's not indexed, blah, 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 inflation. And I'm like, man, if you look at those factors and what you're getting for that lifetime annuity, it's still a really good deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> In current yeah, interest rates so. especially, you, you look at that and you go, yep, that is, yeah. uh, that, that's pretty impressive. Still a pretty good offer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And so I think it is, again, getting getting the right advice for your situation and just understanding um, each of those elements. Um, now, again, you mentioned before, again, if you're made redundant or if you leave the, the public sector, you might preserve your yeah. benefit in the scheme. So um, what can happen to those? Say, situation you uh, leave the public service or you get a redundancy and you decide, oh, I'm going to preserve my benefit in the scheme. What what then happens to that? Yeah. Just, just sits there and it's it's... Preserving in the cupboard? In, in PSS, so you, you'll, you'll see your member statement has three uh, components split out. So the uh, member component, productivity component get invested um, in, the, in the default fund or you do have the option to switch to cash. 
in PSS, particularly the unfunded components, just indexed with CPI. And the reason why it's doing that is because it's not invested. It's still held in a consolidated revenue fund, mm. right? So that's why it's only indexed with CPI. And that's what tricks people up because they're like, you know, they want to roll it out to another fund and try and get a bit of better return or whatever. But the reason they can't do it is because PSS doesn't have that money. It's, mm. you know, it's a consolidated revenue, which is where it still um, remains. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then CSS, same again, so the member and productivity um, still accrued returns, I suppose, still invested, yeah. uh, negative and positive investments. Um, and then the, you know, the, the unfunded components are sitting there in the background until you actually make a claim. The benefits of having a preserved benefit is that if you rejoin the public service, so Commonwealth Government or ACT Government, you go back in as a contributing member and then, you know, is your mm. option to grow those benefits again. So that's why I say the clients, you know, even though you've taken redundancy, you've got this pension option, let's clarify your financial goals, your career goals, mm. what's going on before we make that decision. That's so true. Like it's all about the context and it's about going, right, well, what's your mm. actual, what's your, what's your life plan? What's your, what's your game plan in this regard? You yeah. might be annoyed with the public sector and going, ah, I'm sick of working in this, this job or I need a change or I'm going to go into mm-hmm. private, private industry. Um, but so many times, and then you're probably the same, you speak to people who have gone into consulting world, um, but they might be then consulting back to government. And so you, you look at it and you go, well, yeah, okay, you're getting a higher salary. You might be getting your nine and a half percent super, but if you're back in the PSS, you'd actually be getting that additional accrual benefit as, as you go. So it's it's all about your situation and what's actually um, important and, and life plan, as you say, because again, you might change yeah. career and go, right, awesome. Actually, I've got some a, a mm-hmm. nice a nice buffer of income now coming in to, to help me sustain that and su- support that next, um, yeah. next journey. Yeah, it's, it's all all helping people kind of clarify those, yeah, those big context, I suppose, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, I mean, if you do claim a pension and you go back into the public service, then, you you know, particularly Commonwealth Government, you still get the 15.4% mm. contribution anyway, which is still a lot quite generous, a lot, you know, much higher than typical uh, situation guarantee. But, uh, but then there's taxes, you know, if you're earning 100 grand a year from public service and you've got a 50 grand <laughs> pension coming in, yep. that's quite a large tax bill that you're accruing for yourself. So, um, yeah, there's so much stuff that we need to take into account before we help clients make the decision. Yeah, definitely. And again, get the plan right. Do, do your numbers, have a chat to someone who actually understands these schemes and you meet clients that mm-hmm. um, have rejoined but actually didn't rejoin the, the the defined benefit scheme. And so actually being aware of your options at that time, like we've worked with a few clients over the years where we've been able to get them to contribute to the scheme because we said, well, actually, they weren't given the option at the time um, and we're able to actually get yeah. them back into the scheme, which is, which is exciting yeah. for them. But yeah. And I think um, ACT government's currently doing a bit of a check because mm. I do have a couple of clients since they've um, yeah been contributing to another scheme and they should have started you know one kind of particular 12 years it's been reinstated wow. which is why I say to clients and um, you know if you've got a PSS preserved benefit or CSS preserved benefit and you're rejoining the ACT or Commonwealth Government let your HRT know great great bit of advice there <laughs> What happens when it comes to the, the transfer balance caps and the total super balances and all those sort of things? 
Yeah, so um, in 2017, the government brought in a bit of a rule which limits how much people can have within income stream phase over the whole superannuation, uh, the whole super sector, I suppose. And that includes their defined benefits. So things are becoming a bit more complex now because from um, July this year, um, people are going to have a different transfer balance cap, so anywhere between 1.6 and 1.7. So that's where we need to work out what it is for the, the individual member and then how does it impact the PSS and any other super that they have um, lying around as well. People might be getting the, the letters come through that say, oh, you've breached your, your concessional contribution cap because the, the PSS yeah. and, and CSS contributions are treated a little bit differently when it comes to the, the concessional contribution mm-hmm. cap, so those tax advantage contributions yeah. that go in. Um, do you want to explain how that sort of works as well? Yeah, so the concessional contributions, so there's two ways to put money into super. There's what we call concessional contributions and non-concessional contributions. So a non-concessional contribution is like a post-tax contribution, like those member contributions that people put in, like you know, 10% contributions or 5%, whatever that is. The other end of the spectrum is concessional. So that concludes typically a supervision guarantee, tax level super contributions, and um, the PSS and CSS world, it's a notionally calculated component. So there is a bit of a formula behind the scenes that calculates how much of that contributes towards an individual's $25,000 concessional cap, which is, again, increasing to 27.5 next financial year. Um, but people probably get confused. Um, back in the day, it used to be only the small productivity component which got mm. um, contributed towards that cap, but now it's a much larger bit. So if anyone's thinking about making additional salary sacrifice contributions, for example, they need to be aware of how much of that notional amount counts towards the cap before they decide how much to put in. Yeah, definitely. And I guess people who were uh, in that sort of uh, senior, senior executive level as well who might be contributing, they might be already getting uh, breach notifications that they're going over. And so, again, yeah, that's, that's sort of right. yeah. about understanding the context of that and, and whether it is is worthwhile yeah. reducing contributions or not. So that's where getting, getting advice is really important um, in that regard because, yeah. And if they're in the accumulation phase and their PSS is worth more than, you know, 1.6 mil, they actually can't make any um, generally post-tax contributions into the supervision environment anymore. So, again, there's decisions about whether they actually reduce their 10% contribution rate to zero or a lower amount. Um, there's pros and cons with it. So... Yeah, <laughs> it's not an easy decision. The the importance of getting advice mm. is is there, I think. But getting the right advice, and, and again, we've probably had this ch- chat before as well, Gianna. I, I remember watching the Royal Commission, and I don't want to mention names on, on things, but I saw a, um, a, a case that went before the, the Royal Commission about someone being provided advice to switch super funds at the time. And as soon as I read the case story, I was just going, it has to be a defined benefit. It has to be a defined benefit that they were, yeah. they were trying to roll out and move move into another structure and I'm going why would you do that like because there, there are advisors like a self-made super fund and- yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's advisors like Gianna and myself oh. who, who know the schemes and understand them and go yeah that like the value of this this guaranteed income stream from the Australian government as long as the Australian government doesn't go bust you're going to do okay whereas some other advisors aren't always across it yeah that's right and another you know another thing you know tied into the financial plans is understanding clients estate plans too because mm. PSS and CSS, you know, there are, you know, you can't make a what we call a binding death benefit nomination if you're, you know, so it's um, it's kind of tying all that piece into their 
plans as well. The reversionary benefits. So um, this isn't about mm-hmm. like, again, you can split super benefits, but this is for, for normal accounts as opposed to associate accounts. But there's that that 67% reversionary benefit to a spouse yep, or partner, spouse. Which, which, is, yep. which is fantastic. And, and that can be higher in some circumstances as well. So again, it's about getting those, mm-hmm. those estate plans uh, aligned uh, as well. But if there's no spouse, well, then the pension will just mm. stop. So I had a client... Um, a few years ago, and she was a CSS uh, pensioner, um, you know, understanding her current financial position and what were her retirement plans and um, were, sorry, her estate plans, um, so to leave some money to her nieces and nephews who were not eligible for the reversionary CSS pension. Mm. So it just kind of worked backwards of how much to convert into lifetime pension, a little bit of non-index pension, and then allowing that little bit of lump sum to be invested elsewhere. So it could actually be inherited too by her and nieces and nephews down the track. Or but also provide, you know, some liquidity for her in retirement yeah. if she decided to jump on the plane and go on a big fancy holiday or something, you know, <laughs> do some renovations. Yeah. Um, which is why again, you know, when people, when clients you know come for retirement advice and you know, the first default thought is that we're just going to take the pieces pension. And I'm like, okay, well, let's have let's have a think about that first. Let's clarify when you're going to retire, how much you need in retirement before we work it out. It's great to have been able to pick your brain, Gianna. We, we do try and keep these episodes short and sweet. So thanks so much, Gianna. I'll add all your contact details in the show notes. Um, I think you're uh, on on Twitter and LinkedIn. So I'll uh, I'll add those details in Instagram, the show notes. Instagram, not oh, Twitter. Insta. My oh, husband you're, is. you're a picture <laughs> person. I don't know how to use it. Instagram, <laughs> Facebook and LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Well, I'll add all your details on the on the show notes so people can reach out if they want to want to connect with you. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, for coming along thanks scott anytime thanks for listening folks i hope you'll take something away from the conversation that we've had today that helps you on your money journey you can find me on twitter at money mechanics or on instagram at money mechanics and also check out our blog on our website at moneymechanics.com.au Make sure you tell your friends about looking under the hood. And if you want to help others find it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time.